Show, Sports Night 59 the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. I'm practicing this. Yoshinobu Yamamoto is the free agent Japanese pitcher. He's 25 years old. I know which team I don't want him to sign with. Who's that? The Blue Jays. Well, I call, I call the Raptors coach, Coach Darko. I don't think me calling that guy Yoshi would go over all that well, or maybe it would. I, I don't know. Th- I think that's probably what his friends do call him as okay. Yoshi. Um, so he wants to play with other Japanese players, okay? Mm-hmm. Toronto Blue Jays have one. He was pretty good last year. What about the year before? Yes, don't, don't talk about that. Yeah, who cares? They still have and you know what? If they're not going to be in the market for Shohei Otani or Yoshinobu Yamamoto, maybe Yusei Kikuchi actually makes sense to be part of a trade discussion, like sell, a, sell on a high point point of his value from an area of sur, uh, of surplus. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if they have him and he's part of the plans for next season, why isn't he doing the sales pitch to both Yamamoto and Shohei Otani? And maybe he is. Uh, well, maybe. maybe he's not allowed to do a sales pitch. Like, I know I know Shohei doesn't want people talking about what's happened with him. It's like, maybe I, I could, like, I could see a world where Shohei's just, like, black box. Get me to the Aaron Rodgers dark cave until I, until I have my decision made here. Like, I do wonder about that. It's interesting, right? Because it's like, that's the thing. We were just kind of talking about in the break there. It's like, what does Shohei want? He's such a black box. Like, we all think we know. We mm-hmm. have this report now about our boy Yoshi. And what he wants, mm-hmm. but it's like I don't know. Does Shohei want to play with other Japanese players? I'd imagine it'd be nice, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I think he wants to play. Here's what I, I, I feel confident in saying that he wants to play for a team that has a chance to win. Yep. And he doesn't want no money. Like he is interested in money, <laughs> like a little bit. Yeah. Right. He's, hey, and but, guess what? He's earned it. But my inclination, mm. and and maybe this is way off base. And again, we we don't have a lot of evidence, so we're all just kind of judging the situation mm-hmm. through things that we can see which are presented to us in the media and that's like not a lot from a guy that hasn't spoken since August. God, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have yelled about Greg Popovich earlier. I actually was telling you that. Yeah. Anyways, um here's what I think. <laughs> the the guy is not going to go to the wall for the final dollar. Like I do, I just don't I don't think that you know, it's going to come down to the Yankees and the Dodgers and you know, Yankees go 10 years, 490. But here come the Dodgers at 10 years, 510. And it's like, okay, no, I think if it's if everybody's in and around the same ballpark, mm-hmm. then he's going to use other factors as the deciding one. Well, and if you're if you're shopping... You got to be in that ballpark. Like, you cannot be a team who, like, let's just remove the Jays from this for half a second, but you're the Rangers, where it's like, oh, we have interest in Shohei. And it's like, the report comes out that he was interested in the Rangers, but they weren't willing to go to 490 or whatever. It's like, yeah, if you're they're all going to have to be in the same ballpark there. But I'm I'm with you. We are actually, we always say this about athletes. They're like, ah, what's the difference between 30 and $40 million? Mm, and it's like, well, 10. 10 it's million. a lot. It's like That's a quarter the, of the amount. Like, yeah. but That's almost what Mitch Marner makes in a year god nhl players must hate hearing us talk about this stuff yeah they're fine yeah kind of anyways i think that you're right that it is going to be like hey here is the number that you all have decided i'm worth or that my agent has been able to negotiate however you want to word it that's what it's going to cost but i'm not making my decision based on that because let's be honest you're going to give it to me if i have interest in coming to your team so i'm with you mm-hmm. i think it's going to be facilities can he win comfortability with the staff what's the plan how do they want to use him 
all of those things. And that is why it is an even more impossible thing. Because if it's just money, we really can narrow it down to a very small handful of teams. But it's not just that. Well, maybe it is playing with a bunch of Japanese players. Like, maybe he's interested in that. Like, I I know he enjoyed playing for Team Japan at the World Baseball Classic. I mean, you can have worse. That speech he gave to the boys. So electric. You can have worse fates than Toronto becoming the de facto team of Japan. Yeah, I mean, they did just win the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, like. Just starting from that point alone. I I know the Mariners had that moniker, right? Like, they went and got Ichiro, and they're on the Pacific Coast. They're, like, just geographically Mm -hmm. pretty pretty darn, I mean, not not actually close, but closer (laughs) to Japan than My understanding is is there's some water in the way there. Yes, quite a bit of it. Okay. Um, But they were the de facto team of Japan. They've decided, oh, we made the playoffs like a couple years ago. That was, we're good. That Thanks. Like they've literally (laughs) taken themselves out. Like there's only one team that is like notably decided and that has been in the running that people have talked about in rumors surrounding Shohei Otani. There's only one team that's like, oh, we're not doing that. Like we're, we won't be, we won't be shopping in that aisle. It's the Seattle Mariners. Mm. So if they're giving up the mantle of Team Japan in Major League Baseball, it's up for grabs, baby. Yeah. I mean, what? So there's a twofold thing that could happen being the Japanese, mm. the team that, that de facto yep. Japanese baseball um, fans root for is that, one, you do get, like, even more revenue through whatever sure. that is, yeah. you know, uh, merchandising, rights, fees, yep. all that. And secondarily, like the next time the next Shohei Otani shows up mm. and say the Blue Jays win a World Series and Shohei Otani totally. and Yamamoto are there and Kikuchi and they're all celebrating together and that's something that's splashed across media in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like who doesn't that that becomes the new Yankees for Japanese players. Well, and then you mentioned the you mentioned the Mariners kind of giving up handing over that mantle. You don't you and I don't know how much this is part of their long-term plan. But you also have to be mindful of the Red Sox becoming that team. Like, there's been a lot of talk about the New Balance link there. They signed the outfielder out of Japan last year, Yoshida as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've had Daisuke going back, you know, like a a generation basically. But, like, they've had some notable Japanese players in their history as well. And the fact that it's a team in your division with big pockets. Like, that is a – that's the other interesting dynamic of this as well is, like, you're always thinking of how you can compete and, you know, how do you stack up in the AL East? And if they're going to become that team mm-hmm. instead of you, I don't know. It's like a very interesting wrinkle in all of this as well. Yeah, you want to be Team Japan. They, they, Japan, they are a baseball powerhouse on the world stage and they keep pumping out uh, high-level athletes. None as good as Shohei Otani to this point, but maybe Yoshinobu Yamamoto will be the next Time now for our Insider. The Insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's Insider, Adnan Verk of MLB Network and the Cinephile Podcast. Adnan, how's it going? How do I sound? Sound pretty good, Ben. I got the uh, I got the update from Jeff Azzo, our producer. He says that uh, you're sounding a little bit like the pimply face kid on The Simpsons, which is a hell of a yeah. reference to make. But I'm glad that you're battling through, man. It, it is every broadcaster's worst nightmare, right? Yeah. This is literally how we make our living. 
is with our voice. But I, I don't listen, man. You got a little rasp here, a little edge to yeah, you. You know, one first day or two, it's not bad. I like it. I Ad- like it. Adnan, it's a subtle thing, but you just called Jeff our producer, and I just love that you feel like such a part of the family here, that he's your producer as well. I, it was a very subtle thing, but it was nice to know that we're all family like that. And from from your perspective, or for, to your point about how terrifying a thing it is for a broadcaster, I don't, I don't even like want to say this to put it in either of your heads, but... I'm always worried that I am going to catch hiccups from somebody. Like my oh wife my God. had them the other day and I was like, I need to go sit in the basement. Like I can't even hear I've this had because hiccups I'm terrified like it's going to stop me from doing my job. It's weird. Like I've had hiccups like seconds before I'm about to go, go on air and they they have just disappeared. Well, like the radio gods yeah, smited them or something. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, no, that's a horrible feeling. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever had that, actually, hiccups on air or even to fight the urge. I generally mm. just try to have water with me. But I, I generally have the – I mean, that the urge to cough, I find, happens a lot. Oh, yeah. I just have to fight through it, and then you just you just cheat. And once the camera cuts to the analyst, you quickly grab a swig of water and you get through it. But that – yeah, the coughing happens quite a bit. Clearing of throat, you want to just try to battle through sometimes. It's a horrible feeling. And, you know, I, I always think, again, Brent, like I said, not to put it in our heads, but imagine, like, it's a major event, like – Leaf Stanley Cup final. You got your Scotia break, but all of a sudden you lose your voice. What would happen? But but I've heard stories like there's some stuff you can do. You go to the doctor, it's like no, no, but they can give you the steroid. Like Greg yeah. Amsinger, our, our lead anchor at MLB Network, he had something happen right before the World Series, the draft. And it was like no, no, in emergencies, you can go to a doctor and they'll give you some sort of horse tranquilizer or <laughs> steroid, and you will sound like Walter Cronkite. Like it's uh, unbelievable. That's funny. <laughs> if uh, need be. Listen, I don't throw the term around hero all that often, but I think I am one today to, to take to the microphone for, for three hours of sports talk radio. Um, all right, let, let's, let's talk about also tough to take a sick day before you have a vacation day tomorrow, yeah, which one. he has. Yeah. So that might yeah. be part of the reason what, why he's fighting through whatever. But to, to further this point for Ben, cause I'm with you on this. I have often felt like there's something to be said for battling through illness. Like yes. people can tell, Hey, this guy's not hundred percent. He's still working. Like right. I'm like, Hey, in four and a half years, I've missed one day at MLB Network because I had strep throat and I sounded like hell. Mm-hmm. But you know what? COVID changed things a little bit. Before, there was that sense of, oh, my God, this guy's hacking up a lung. He's still at work battling through. Now, if you do that, people look at you with three oh, eyes and go, seriously, go home. Don't get me sick. The hell's wrong with you? Stop Uh-oh. touching me. Well, yeah. Uh, let's just ignore what Adnan just said there. Let's yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel great with Ben talking into my mouth effectively right now. It's awesome. Moving on. All right, l- let's talk about Mr. Content, John Morosi. On your very network uh, yesterday yeah. talking about a potential Bo Bichette trade to the Chicago Cubs. All right, can you get your mind around, one, the Blue Jays putting Bo Bichette on the market, and two, getting back a return that could be possible from the Chicago Cubs? And I was surprised. I mean, I, I wouldn't quite say shocked because nothing quite shocks me today in the baseball world. But my man Morosi's pretty plugged in, so he's not the type to just recklessly make uh, odd speculation. There must be some sort of truth to this. And um, listen, the Cubs are clearly looking to make some moves. You don't give $8 million to a manager and steal him away from the Brewers unless you think you can make an impact in the Central. So it's not surprising the Cubs would be aggressive and looking to make moves and add payroll. But if you told me the Jays were going to do something after the second straight season of playoff disappointment, my first thought, which you and I have discussed a lot, is Vlad Jr. I would have said, okay, now is the time. Do you want to get really gutsy, roll up the sleeves, and let's figure out this Vlad Jr. deal? I would not have expected a Bo Bichette trade. I would have said, no, that's the one guy you definitely don't trade. I think in many ways he's the face of this franchise. Um, you know, He always plays great down the stretch, September, October. 
He's awfully durable, battled injuries I know late this season, but generally feel like he's a guy you can rely upon. And he's got three more years in their club control. They bought out those arbitration years. Like, who knows if they'll sign long-term. But for the next two years, you feel pretty good about where he's at. So I was, I was genuinely surprised. Um, and who knows if, if, if it'll gain steam or if it's just a rumor, if the Jays are just you know, casually seeking interest. That happens, right? You can put a guy out there and go, okay, what would the deal be? Oh, it's not nearly close enough to what the return we need it to be. Fine, we'll pull him back off. It's not like the trade has to happen. But even to hear him being dangled, even to hear him being mentioned, to me was genuinely surprising. And as far as the potential return, man, you'd have to get back quite a haul, I think, for Bo. I mean, you're looking at, you know, the Jays don't need pitching. Their issue is some offense. And they're going to need at least two or three guys that can really hit and a couple of top prospects to get Bo. I would think it'd be at least a three or four for one. Yeah, you would you would have to think so. And man, thank goodness they did buy up those R beers because he was a guy who and look, this is part of the business. I think sometimes it gets overstated, but he was a guy who went to the wall every year in terms of the contract renewals and it went right down to the wire until he did sign that deal uh that locked up his R beers. So I, I you know, the idea of his name being out there, again, it's a business. I know everyone understands it, but it is nice for the relationship that they don't have to uh negotiate a contract while while any of this is is happening. Uh obviously biggest story in, in baseball. The Bichette thing, uh, pretty pretty interesting, but we're all kind of sitting and, and waiting on, on Shohei Otani. Are you surprised that we haven't had, I won't say no inkling or understanding of what's happening, but it's been pretty quiet. You know, I, I quite frankly expected him to sign somewhat quickly. Are you surprised we've seen this thing play out kind of slowly? I'm not, Brent. I know we talked about this previously, how Ben was saying, you know, I think Otani kind of knew where he was going at some point because he's mm. been out since September 3rd. So at least they could already had some conversations or some ideas. He seems like a fairly decisive guy, wants to get to his team and get up and running. But I just think the way baseball free agency has gone, it just gets later and later and later. And I'm always surprised when anybody signs in November. Anybody. Like Aaron Nolan just signed. I'm like, wow, okay. Like normally I just I don't expect to pay any genuine interest until December. For me, November is awards week. Uh, that week we enjoy. We start to speculate and then around winter meetings some signs get done. So to me, I, I've just become so skeptical and so used to the calendar of the players waiting until uh, as long as humanly possible. And as far as Nola was concerned, I'm like, okay, well, I guess the Phillies just gave him so much money. He wasn't going to say no to that. I figured he'd get between 150 and 200. He got $172 million for seven years. Uh, he's been great in the postseason for them. In spite of regular season ERA, but still strikes out a ton of guys. All right. But in the case of Otani, when you're the biggest fish out there, I just, I don't think, he wants to leave anything to chance. He wants to do his absolute due diligence on every single matter. I don't think it's a wide net. Again, as we've talked about previously, unless he's going to go on a short-term deal, the high AAV, mm. if it's three years and $180 million, then yeah, I think more teams can get involved. But ultimately, I think it's one of three or four teams. And I think, I don't think the Angels are going to be that team. I think it's the Dodgers. I think it's the Giants. I think it's the Mariners. And maybe it's the Rangers, you know, Braves, if it's a short AAV, could do something like that. But I think it's generally one of those three or four. And I think we'll get clarity in December. Like, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's waiting until spring training. But I'm not shocked yet that we haven't found out where Shelley's going. Yeah, I was doing a little texting with our, our very own insider here, one of them, uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith, yesterday about Shoei Otani. And he raised the idea of uh, multiple opt-outs for Otani, which have become very in vogue in Major League Baseball in recent years, Adnan. Yeah. I mean, I, that seems like an obvious way that, that Otani is going to, one, protect himself, but two, like, leave himself a little flexibility. That's a, that's a tough spot, though, if you're a team that's outlaying, like, what, like, almost $50 million a year, 
and then all of a sudden yeah. Yeah, he's not able to return as a pitcher, and he's like, you know what, opt in, thank you very much. I, I, I think that's probably what's going to happen, though, right? Oh, 100%. And that's really the way the game has changed for these long-term contracts. Before, you know, you'd see the Miggy contract, the Pujols contract. Oh, my God, it's a ton of money for a long time. But now it's like 10-year deal, opted after years three, five, and seven. You're like, yeah. oh, so this really isn't a 10-year contract. It's a, it's a three-year contract or maybe a five-year contract or maybe a seven-year. Um, and I think for the player, you're right. For sure, he just offers more protection. You know, he's going to turn 30 next year, I believe. So he's 29 years old right now. So a three-year opt-out, like, hey, at 32, I hit the market again. He can feel like that's another big five- to seven-year contract, high AAV, et cetera. So I think for, for certain players, it definitely makes sense. And it just, like you said, offers you that protection. Like, if you sign with a team, and for some reason, it's just disastrous. Like, imagine when A-Rod went to the Rangers, and it was three straight last-place finishes. i got to get out of here, and they traded the Yankees. Mm-hmm. A similar situation for the player. He can offer more control and go, okay, I was expecting something different here. Imagine if Shohei went to the Mariners and he said, okay, 10-year deal, $500 million, but three years in, it's not working. No way. I'm definitely opting out. I'll give myself another chance. And I think for the, for the team and for the player, you're not going to sign the guy unless you offer those incentives, unless you offer those, those opt-outs. Players will say, no, I'm not going to be hamstrung by a potential long-term deal. I want the potential for a long-term deal mm-hmm. of a lot of dollars, but if I want to get out, I want to be able to get out. I, I pose this this thought earlier in the program and I was I was wondering whether it was a hot take but I think like and we don't know the numbers on either of these things and Juan Soto is a free agent a year after Shohei Otani but like like for this thought experiment let's let's talk about a 10-year 500 million dollar contract for both guys I think it's more likely that you get more value out of the production of Juan Soto than you do Shohei Otani over those 10 years do you agree or disagree I think so, only because it's such a concern about Otani and the pitching. I mean, he's going to be, I know they don't want to call it Tommy John, but it is. It's going to be a two-time Tommy John guy. And that list of guys who are successful who have undergone that procedure twice is very short. And I know Nathan Ivaldi is the guy who's the best example of somebody that could have Tommy John twice and still be an elite pitcher. And what he did in the postseason will never be forgotten for the Texas Rangers, and kudos to him. But the chance of Shohei being that guy who's going to have a three-ERA and strike at 150 batters it's going to be tough. And, and by the way, if you get three times Tommy John, forget it. You ain't pitching again. So, oh. so I, I'm just I'm already very skeptical about how much pitching is going to do. Does he become a closer? Is he all of a sudden John Smoltz starter to reliever? I mean, that becomes tricky if he's batting in the bottom of the eighth but has to close it out in the top of the ninth. When's he getting warmed up? Is there a tunnel underneath the top? There's all sorts of different questions. So I think as a hitter, I feel pretty good about saying, show he's going to hit me close to 300, 35 to 40 home runs, 100 RBI. But Soto can do that seemingly in his sleep. Yeah. Like, you know, I, when I look at his numbers, I go, that's 410 on base, 500 slug. Like, I'm looking at 900 OPS for at least the next seven or eight years. Oh, like, yeah. those, those are gaudy numbers, right? Like, that's – when I look at Soto, and I remember thinking when he turned down the 440, he'd never get it. Now I'm like, you know what? He might still get it. Like, he's, he's – I still think it's going to be a four because he's a top 10 hitter in baseball. He's only 25 years old. Like, yeah. it's crazy to think how young he is and how much potential is still there. And whichever team gets him is going to give him that 10-year contract for 400, I think, at least. And they're going to have multiple opt-outs. So, yeah, I think so. I think if you said to me, Soto Otani, over the length of their next contract, mm-hmm. who will give you better value? I would say Soto, because I think that 
just because he's younger and he's and he doesn't have the injuries that that show he has to overcome. And it, it feels fait accompli that he's going to be traded this offseason with the the news surrounding the Padres that they had to take out, what, $50 million in loans just to pay their players last season. And, I mean, Peter Seidler was like everything you want out of a pro sports team owner yeah. who doesn't care about taking profits seemingly, just wants to win. And, mm-hmm. and his tragic passing um, means that I guess there's like a, a, a philosophical change potentially happening atop that organization. Is it is it possible that we see like... A, Maybe an attempted resetting of that roster. I mean, there's so many big, big money guys on the, on that roster, and a lot of them have no trade protection. Could we see more than Juan Soto departing San Diego this offseason? I think so, Ben, and I think it's it's certainly fair to raise the question. And, and Peter Seiler was a great humanitarian, did a lot for the city of San Diego. You know, when he passed away, I was you know looking at all the stuff he did in his life, and I said, man, this guy really was. Uh, a person who's really kind of interwoven within San Diego and wanted to win more than anything. As you said, he, he seemingly did not care because his health was declining. He just wanted to see the Padres win before, unfortunately, he passed away. So he wasn't able to realize that dream. And that, I think, does change things. Like, you know, human interests play a part in this. If you look at the simple finances and you say, you took out a $50 million loan, you can't possibly keep up this uh, business model. Even with San Diego, I believe, being second in attendance, this past year and being a one town team has certainly helped the team because before when you had the chargers, right, you'd have interest split between corporations, et cetera. Now it's all Padres. So any sort of dollars from revenue fundraising corporations is all going towards the Padres, the fans, it's just one team to focus on. And that does help, but it doesn't help enough to have you a $250 million payroll, especially if the team's not going to make the playoffs. So I'm with you. Good use to Fed accompli. Soto is going to get dealt. And I just think it takes him out of the mix to sign any of those guys, right? Snell wins the sign. He's not coming back. I don't think Hayter's coming back. And uh, potentially a couple other guys. Like, I think Manny's there as their guy. He's their bellwether. He's kind of put his flag down. I think Bogart's that contract's untradeable, and you wouldn't trade him after one year anyways. But Tatis could be interesting. You know, I, I think Tatis could get moved maybe to the Mets because Steve Cohen, it sounds like they don't want to push right away, so maybe one more year. But I wouldn't be shocked if Steve Cohen goes, yeah, I'll take Tatis at $340 million, sure. Like well, when the Mets want to really start pushing in 2026. So maybe Soto gets traded this year and Tatis in the offseason of 2025. And San Diego has to find a different way to win because this collection of talent obviously was a massive disappointment for A.J. Preller. And I think they'll push. They're going to be competitive. But that division is pretty tough, man. The D-Packs just made the World Series. The Dodgers are the perennial champions. And the Giants, I think, are trying to spend this offseason. So it's going to be tough there in San Diego, I think, this year to contend. I, I would like to congratulate my, my co-host, Ben, on not jumping in and reminding everyone that their official name is the 84-win uh, Arizona Diamondbacks right. because he cannot stop bringing it yeah. up. Yeah. But, we, we, you know, we've had a nice conversation about baseball here, and that's all well and good. But we have to talk about the lead item of the day, uh, American Thanksgiving, or as I like to call it, Thursday. Adnan, uh, you know, you have it on both sides of the border. What is your favorite part of American Thanksgiving? Like, are you a turkey guy? Is there a side you love? Do you just love watching football? Like, I am gluttonous and jealous every time at, at this year. Uh, what is the, what's your favorite part about American Thanksgiving as somebody who's had it on uh, both sides of the border? No, you nailed it, Brett. It's, it's the football. I mean, every time as a kid growing up in Eastern Ontario and Kingston, I'm like, this is amazing. I come up from school and I could watch John Madden eat turducken and talk about the Detroit Lions who are losing by double digits in the fourth quarter. And then I watch the Cowboys and hate them and cheer against them and hopefully they'd lose. So, and then, of course, as you got older, the third game got added. The primetime game at NBC, I go, this is the best. So, obviously, the, the benefit of having football is great. As far as the food itself, love a good dark meat. I know it's not as healthy for you, they say, a little bit greasier, but a good dark meat gets you going. Mm. A little trip to fan for a nice afternoon nap. And, of course, 
dessert. I mean, I just think apple pie and ice cream. I know that sounds like a you know a summer treat, so to speak. But I think any pecan pie, anything, mm-hmm. you know, pumpkin pie, anything, anything with some ice cream in there, little a la mode, I'm going for every time. The other stuff I'm not as crazy about, I'll be honest. Cranberry mm-hmm. sauce, meh. Stuffing I'm not crazy about. But the big thing is my wife's got some family in Long Island. So we have to make the drive today. It is 43 miles. What's oh, that? 75 kilometers, something like that. This drive, which I was telling your producer, Jeff, I'll clarify. <laughs> no, now, no, no. You're part, you're, team, you're part of the team, Adnan. You're part of the team. Okay, fine, fine. Our producer, Jeff. I said, that's like this drive that I'm going to take. And this happens every year. And I said, you know, <laughs> it should be okay because it's Thanksgiving. 30 million Americans travel during Thanksgiving week, but they're all traveling Tuesday and Wednesday. But Thursday, you should be with the family you want to be. Traffic shouldn't be bad. Where is everybody going? And yet the drive is just painful. It's like going from Scarborough to Burlington. Oh like, God. it is awful. Like <laughs> On the 401. Just imagine yeah. that drive right now. Four, right going 401 East to 401 West, and you've got to go through all that traffic, and you're just fighting through Mississauga and Oakville. Eventually, Grimsey is going to show up, and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's what this drive is like. It, it's, it's, it's a minimum of an hour and a half. Like, best case scenario is an hour, but that doesn't happen. Minimum hour and a half, pushing two hours. So if I can just get through the drive – at that point, I'll just be satisfied to have any sort of sustenance. All right. Fingers crossed for you, man. That that sounds miserable. But yeah, good it, luck. It, enjoy the turkey. Uh, enjoy the football. <laughs> uh, we'll talk next week. Hopefully, I'm feeling better. Yeah, get well soon, Ben. If not, I know a guy can get you some juice. Yeah, we'll I need him. some of that stuff. Uh, see you, Adnan. All right, there's Adnan Burke, MLB Network Cinephile Podcast, and he was our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I know what he's talking about, and so does everyone who heard the bulk of that interview, but I want to know the person who just chimed in at the very end hearing someone from MLB Network being like, I can get you some juice, Ben. Just like there's a time for people of Mm -hmm. a certain age where they go like, oh, they start wincing hearing that, but also thinking about sock and dingers. Yeah, I mean... Is it great for, like, the long-term health of the guys that we're juicing? Oh, I mean, I am... Probably not. Do I want my children idolizing those players? Was it fun as heck to watch Barry Bonds continue to hit bombs into the water in McCovey Cove and right field? Hell yeah. Sure was. You know how... You know how, like, Australia was founded as, like, a penal colony by, like... I've heard this. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if that's true, but I know it it absolutely is. Okay, it is true. Yeah. Yeah, I would be, I, you know, uh, human rights lawyers will maybe tell me that this is uh, no bueno, but like, if we're going to have lifetime jail sentences and stuff, mm. I'd be okay with allowing those people to compete in the steroid Olympics, where it's like, you hey, want man. Running Man. They made a movie called oh, Running okay. Man. They did? I don't know. You're not familiar no. with Running Man? Not familiar, no. Schwarzenegger, I believe. Okay, sure. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, feels like the right guy if it's so, the. Yeah. Yeah. If it's the steroid movie, feels like the right guy. Yeah, Running Man was yeah. It's just prisoners had. It was basically like gladiators. We also had this in the Roman times. Yeah, yeah. gladiators. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not. Just to be clear, I am not suggesting fighting feeding to the anyone death. to a tiger or fighting to the death. But, but they get to take steroids. But if a guy wants to take like all the steroids and like maybe he runs a hundred meter dash in four seconds, mm. maybe his heart explodes. If that's their choice, mm. I wouldn't be so opposed to it. I'm open to people yeah doing whatever they like want. Again, as like, long as I it doesn't hurt other people. Nobody should be telling them to do it, but mm. they want to. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Brent Gunning's thoughts on bringing back gladiator times. All if, right. if they want. <laughs> Only if they want. When we come back, uh, I know the Oilers want to win. Yeah. They can't.
They're, they're incapable. There's like, also, I'm throwing in a, a second tease. There's also something that happened in the Boston Bruins game last night that I have to bring to our attention. We'll do that after spec, but specs come okay. up next. All right. Mark Spector, Sports on Oilers reporter next. As the fan morning show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sports at 590 The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. No, we didn't give ourselves any favors that um, made it harder for us. Uh, and I just see a lot of guys who who are working hard, do care, um, are so worried about making mistakes, and ultimately it's paralyzing us and holding us back. A lot of it's just uh, feel, um, knowing when to hold the puck and what the next play is going to be. Um, but if we can get all the guys together, moving in sync, and that'll certainly um, reduce the um, mistakes. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. That was Oilers coach Chris Knobloch, which is, you know, who is wondering maybe what he's got himself into. Like, it's, it's better to be an NHL head coach than not, no mm-hmm. doubt. For sure. Especially when you're coaching Connor McDavid, but... My goodness, what a tire fire. A little hot. For the Oilers, who, who, you know, they actually find themselves only third from the bottom in the Western Conference, okay? Despite the fact they've they've lost to the San Jose Sharks, but they're on 11 points. Blackhawks are now sandwiched between they and the Sharks with 10 points, but the Oilers, after losing to uh, the Hurricanes yesterday, find themselves 5-12 and 1 and no good. With a team save percentage of 870. All right, let's talk to Mark Spector, Sportsnet Oilers reporter. How's it going, Spec? Oh, it's going dandy. How's it going for you? <laughs> you know what? Uh, it's also like, yeah, similarly, because I can barely speak, and I, I do radio for a living, so that's tough. Um, but, yeah, I, it, it must be quite a thing covering this team right now, uh, Spec. Like, you, you've, you've done a lot of reporting. You've covered a lot of teams over the course of your career. Where, where do you, where does this one fit into into the the spectrum of your career? Well, especially at Edmonton, as I think you know, they've had the decade of darkness and a lot of, frankly, just bad teams over you know after their dynasty years. Between then and now, they missed the playoffs a lot. They were very good, but it's one thing when you start a season with a team and you look at the roster and you go, man, this team, there's no chance. Uh, it's this is the first time I've covered a team where the season began. You know, a team that played five playoff rounds that lost to the last two Stanley Cup champions that was in a quote-unquote cup or bust season, and it went this sour. Like, even their bad teams played better than this. And this is, you know, I thought, everybody thought, was a good team. So, yeah, this is unique. This is unique for sure, boys. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And yeah, like you referenced, right? Like you, there was the decade of darkness. Like it's not like you haven't seen some downtimes in Edmonton, but the only thing worse than downtimes is downtimes when you're supposed to be up, right? Like it's one thing to not have expectations, yeah. but this is very different. You know, I don't want to make it, so. I don't, I don't want to make it all about one guy, but uh, the conversation at large does tend to be about one guy and it's Connor McDavid. Like but without talking about his play, just in terms of how it's wearing on him. I mean, like you, we, we saw the back and forth every 
everyone has, but just in general, I mean, you're around the team. Like, how much do you think it's affecting McDavid? The, I mean, again, like we always talk about this, like he's losing more this season than he has at certain points in his life already. Like, what do you think it's doing to the star players on this team having having the year like this and, and quite frankly, the temperature being so hot around the team? Well, it's no fun losing the Canadian market. Connor McDavid is here to win. You know, he's he's a very much a team player. He's look he doesn't care. He's not here to win our Ross trophies or hearts. He's done that. He's here to win a cup. He knows his place in the game will be viewed on how many cups he wins. And and up until now, they were very much a cup contender. And you know, he's disappointed, right? Disappointed, disappointed in his own game. Like the the narrative out there is, of course, everyone's the team's letting down Connor McDavid and. The team's, you know, wasting the Connor McDavid years. And you can talk about that if you want, but I would say to you that one of their most underperforming players this year is Connor McDavid. The Connor McDavid's looking in the mirror here a lot and saying, man, I haven't been any good. Sure, there's things wrong with this team. And yeah, you can roast Ken Holland. Go ahead. But Leon Dreisaitl and, and Connor McDavid... I, I don't believe they're sitting there saying they're wasting our careers. I think first they're saying, man, if we played better, we'd still be in this thing. Mm-hmm. And they haven't played better, and they're almost out of this thing. Yeah, and and at least with McDavid, you can make the argument, and I think it's a correct one. I mean, judging by the performance, we've just never seen this from him, that it is injury-related and a guy that returned uh, quicker than we expected to play in that Heritage Classic I mean, Speck, yeah, obviously he's, he's a guy that we've seen getting frustrated in the last couple of days, and you've seen that firsthand. Um, how, how is he handling this? And is it, listen, there's no right way to do this, and I'm sure he didn't think about how he's going to handle it, right? He probably never expected to be in this situation. But what do you make of of how how visibly frustrated he has become? Well, I, you know, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, like when... Guys are losing. They're they're frustrated, and you know if I don't know if you're referencing his answer to my question yes, the other day, and, I am. and he sure he's listen. The reporters like when you lose the same way every night, right? The, you run out of questions to ask these guys. From my side, of sure. it. I've asked lots of questions. I've done lots of interviews. I did a one-on-one with Connor the other day, and one with Leon, and they were both magnanimous and giving of their time and dug as deep as they could to give me their answers. Like both guys were awesome from my side of things. And my relationship with them is fine as a reporter, but I'll tell you what, the game just ends. They lost again. Guys are asking the same crappy questions about what's wrong with their team. They've heard every one of them 10 times. Yeah. They're frustrated. I don't like I harbor no ill will for a guy that's sick of hearing that question. That's, that's the deal. I'm sick of asking the question, pal. You know, this this is what happens in a losing team when the, everybody's frustrated. And you know, I'm I'm frustrated. I'm not cheering for the orders to win. I'm an objective journalist. I'm getting a little frustrated trying to come up with new angles on the same mistakes they're making every night. Like it's there's only so many ways to ask that question, and it's already been asked ten times. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that that was my read on it, and obviously uh, you'd have a different one being right in the middle of it. But you're right, like nobody. What's the old saying in this business? Like you cheer for stories, and even if you liked writing that story, spec, I feel like you've written enough times this year, or at oh, least at least goodness. for 2023, at the at the very yeah, least. Yeah. You, know, you know, we spend so much time focusing on McDavid, and rightfully so. You know. Drysidle, he's got this year left and and one more at eight five. I'm not rushing him out the door, but that next contract is going to look very different. There's probably going to be a couple of numbers uh, b- before we get to the hundreds of thousands. Like that's going to be a double digit, ten million plus, probably a lot more than that. How much is? And again, like every year is a win year now for the Oilers. I understand that, but their cap structure is going to look a lot different when he needs to to get a raise. Like how much do you think that is adding to the the kind of day in day out pressure of really taking advantage of the last two years of honestly one of the best bargain contracts in the NHL. Yeah, probably the best bargain contract. Like this guy is the second most productive player in the last five years in the game. Right. And there's all kinds of guys making more money than him. So yeah, it's a great, great contract. And yes, you know, there's, you can't deny that there you should, you know, it's time for the Edmonton Oilers with these two great players to win a cup. And it doesn't like it's, look like it's going to happen this year. So sure. Absolutely. There's a huge awareness that these years are waning and passing. And, and there's a giant concern about like you, you guys are in Toronto. They got, you know, this top heavy sort oh, yeah. of lineup with all their money up top and it ain't working. Like Edmonton's won, played in five playoff rounds the last two years. They won three of them, mm-hmm. right? Toronto's won one since whenever, you know? So the point would be, if we're looking at how does it work, how, how successful can you be having, you know, $20 million or $25 million in your top two players, there's a huge question whether you can win that way in this cap system. Like, I'm not sure that you can. And so far, Toronto, the Toronto Maple Leafs are a shining example that you cannot, right? You cannot win when you pile so much cap space into a few good forwards. So, yes, there's some strategizing for Jeff Jackson to do here, and whoever the new GM is going to be after Ken Holland, you know, retires at the end of his contract this year, you have to make the call. And are you better with Connor McDavid? And all the stuff that you could get for Leon Drysaddle in, you know, with one year season remaining in his deal, right? Can you solve your goaltending problem? Can you get that defense when you need? Maybe you're a better team. Like I don't know the answer. I haven't explored it yet, but I'm here to tell you, McDavid makes twelve five, and Drysaddle's probably going to get like thirteen. You know, yeah. so it's a lot of money for two guys, man. And right now, I think we all have learned two guys ain't getting it done in Edmonton. Yeah, the the difference is is you got that uh, that healthy middle class there, right? Like Hyman at five five, Evander Kane at five one, Nuge at five one, and and then just looking at the cap picture, I think the other thing a lot of people will point to, and you know, I think I think sometimes it's something that's a little glossed over because unless you're watching all the games super closely, you you know, you don't get to have a super informed opinion on it. But Darnell Nurse at nine two five. Now I you know, there's been chilling, some- yeah. Well, that's the thing. So what is he as a number one? Because we have, again, you talk about the Leafs and Oilers parallels. We have these conversations about Morgan Riley all the time where you say, hey, you love the player. You love playoff Mo. You love what you see. You don't love him as one. And, you know, he ain't making nine, but even seven, five, sometimes people have a little askew here with Riley. So what? what is it? What's the read on Nurse in Edmonton? Oh, it's, he makes too much money. There's no question. He's not a $9.25 million defenseman. Like, that's evident. 
you know, it's a little different here, and, and I guess I'll come to some defense, some defense of Ken Holland. You know, when they signed Darnell Nurse, first of all, he'd been bridged a couple times, and you could go back and say you probably shouldn't have done that, but they did. Uh, this is a team that lost a, a, top, a, a second pair of defensemen in Oscar Clefbaum, whose shoulder went, and they yeah. just lost him for nothing. And then they lost uh, Al, uh, Adam Larson as a free agent for nothing. And for no other reason than his father had passed away in Edmonton and he just had to get out of here. His mom didn't want to come here anymore. It was just a bad, bad, sad thing for a really nice guy. Yeah. So my point is this. You just lost two defensemen, and now Darnell Nurse is up. You're Edmonton. Guys don't just come to Edmonton, right? It's different. It's not Toronto. It's not Florida. This is a hard place to get good players to come sometimes. So that all of those things came together. Kenny Holland said, I can't lose a third defenseman. I got to sign this guy. Seth Jones signs. Lorensky signs. So yep. you know what? If he'd have done a better negotiation, he might got, have got nurse for $8 million. Mm-hmm. That's still way overpaid. Like, it's still way overpaid. But that's how things unfold sometimes. And I'm here to tell you, nine and a quarter for nurse is a is a massive overpay, and it's not good. But, you know, I kind of understand, I no. guess, how it happened. Is that fair? No, it totally. <laughs> I, I'm happy you bring that up because I remember, I remember all the conversations that were being had of, okay, maybe nine is a touch much, but think of how this is going to look. I mean, again, it's, it's funny. We had all these same conversations here, albeit about different players. Well, the cap's going to go up and this, that, and the third. You know, the other thing I think of when I look at the Oilers' blue line, and obviously Eckholm is the big kind of swing they've made, but it's been Evan Bouchard. You know, he's been the guy, again, from the outside looking in of, ah, that's the guy who maybe allows them to take a leap. And it's funny, you were mentioning the bridge deals for Nurse, and that's where my mind immediately went that they bridged Bouchard. And I remember thinking, wow, that's going to be expensive after he puts up uh, Carlson-like numbers, quarterback in that first power play. You know, what's uh, what, what's the read been on Bouchard uh, through through his first couple seasons in the NHL? Well, here you go. Like, he, you know, he's a young defenseman. He's played 200 games. Uh, he's very good offensively, right? Heads up. He's got as good a shot as there is in the game today. Like, he could just pound it. Slopper or wrist shot. Unbelievably good. Runs a power play. Great on the other side of center ice. But uh. you know, after showing some signs last year that he could play some defense, this year he's been absolutely disastrous. Any good he's doing offensively is being undone in the defensive zone. So we do. We, you know, this is a younger defenseman, and you think he can get better, and I assume he can because he's really, really good. But, right? But, you know, do you, if you have a fifty-point defenseman, that guy comes at you and says, "I want seven or eight million bucks." That's what those guys mm-hmm. make, right? That's what they make. And you got an eight million dollar defenseman who can't defend. Can you win? Mm-hmm. You know, you can score, but can you win? Like, that's what we're looking at in Edmonton. No one wins more Hart trophies and Art Ross trophies than the Edmonton Oilers here. What do they want? Nobody scores more goals. They had the best power play in the history of the National Hockey League last year, mm-hmm. right? No one's ever had a better one. What do they want? So there's a huge sort of reckoning here that the teams that win play defense. Look at Vegas. You look at their lineup, you go, you know, there's some real nice players there, but they're built on strong defense and they're such a good defensive team. They can win with Aiden Hill and goal, Mm. right? So look at Toronto. They score like crazy. What do they want? 
You know, so that's the deal on Bouchard is, do we need another offense-only player here? Like, he's a good player, don't get me wrong, but unless he can play defense, he's not winning anything. Yeah, and, and you know what? Maybe we'd be having similar conversations here in Toronto if they were getting the type of goaltending that the Oilers are getting, right? Like, I, I it's hard... I, I know it's not just goaltending, right? Like, you can't just look at the Oilers being second in the NHL in five-on-five Corsi percentage and saying, oh, it's all go-. No, I watch the game. Like, I see what's happening. Like, I see the defensive warts that exist in that team, and I also understand the score effects that are playing into some of those advanced statistics. But it's, yes. it's hard to overlook a team that has a team save percentage of 870 over that long a stretch. <laughs> it's otherworldly spec, the type of goaltending yep. they're getting. Yeah, it's not good enough for sure. And you're right. Like, I'm, I'm here to tell you that if they had a great goalie here, they would have three more wins. Yeah. You know, but it's a, it's a you know, you're, everybody who says they don't have goaltending, there's no question. They need goaltending. Like, that's a for sure. But to me, as a guy that follows the team every day, I'm, I try not to dwell on it because I feel like it lets everybody off the hook for what's going on. You can't win playing hockey the way the Oilers play it defensively. You can't do it. You can't think you're going to get a great goalie and now you can just go on playing absolutely derelict defensively with a you know a bunch of guys standing around. This is might be the softest team I've ever covered in my life. I mean, they are soft, right? So get a goalie, sure, get a goalie. It doesn't matter if you mm. play hockey like this. Who's playing goal, pal? Mm. Yeah. Got uh, a Ryan Reeves here if you if you want one, Spec. He hasn't been doing much. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, I, the I point is you got good players that play soft. What you need is good players to play a little harder game, right? Boy, boy don't, don't we know that. Ryan Reeves that just plays hard. I want freaking you know, Leon Dreisaitl to start playing a lot harder. Yeah. Then maybe you got something. Well, maybe we're headed towards an incredible redemption story for this Oilers team. It would be <laughs> quite that if they made the playoffs after this. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll see. They're an incredible right, train wreck. If it happens, I get the book deal. Yeah. 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 Honestly, start putting some notes together right now. See you, Spec. <laughs> see you, boys. Mark Spector, Sports and Oilers reporter. For a limited time, Canadians can get their hands on the Raptors 20-piece McNuggets pack with spicy buffalo dipping sauce. To celebrate this new edition, we're giving away $100 in McDonald's gift cards all week. To enter, all you have to do is tune into episodes of the Fan Morning Show, listen for the code word, then you text the code word to 590-590. Today's code word is 20-piece. Text 20-piece to 590-590 right now to enter for your chance to win. We'll be giving away one more gift card prize pack tomorrow's show. So be sure to tune in. I know I will be, despite not being on tomorrow's show. You'll be listening? Oh, 100%. Really? I'll be sending in little text, little notes, but what I hear? You're definitely just going to be like, talk more about Shohei. Yeah. What could be quantified yeah. <laughs> in sport? It's November. You know it's baseball season. Yeah. yeah. Why are we talking more baseball? That is what you'll be texting in, uh, as you are wont to always. I did tease this. Uh, just wanted to mention it. It's just kind of a funny thing, and I always like to... You know, we get so bogged down in Leafland and everything going on here. And so I was nice, stretch our legs, talk to spec. But <laughs> last night, Bruins, uh, this will shock you. They won in regulation, beating the Panthers. That that was the first game since Charlie McAvoy took a nice, healthy headshot at Oliver Ekman Larson. And there was some retaliation. Like mm-hmm. Nick Cousins went out of his way to take a nice, healthy run at Charlie McAvoy. There was some some exchange of words. And that was it. 
So unless we are going to now deem the Florida Panthers a like soft team soft. that doesn't retaliate. Where's Matthew Kachuk dropping the gloves? Yes, I disagree. I thought that was a totally fine response. I would just like to remind people of that the next time the Leafs play the Boston Bruins or, you know, it feels like it's 100 years from now. But mm. just I, I, I had that little moment pop up and I noticed I, and we're not having a referendum on the toughness of the Florida Panthers yeah. or how together they are as a team. And guess what? Someone smoked McAvoy and they moved on in the game. So I just wanted to uh, to highlight that. Now, I'm but not yeah, going to be upset. Can, how about smoke? Yeah, you, like yeah, that's smoke fine. Brad Marchand. Like, I'd yeah, like to see it. Yeah. And you know who was who did it in the game? Funnily enough, John Klingberg was the guy who like threw him to the ice in the corner in that game. Funnily enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> don't think it's going to happen again. <laughs> no, it's good perspective. It and is. And here's the thing. If anybody cared about that team, maybe they would have written about <laughs> great like uh, that narrative and that response. Yeah. The only guy who cares is uh, Keith Kachuk. That's it. He's like the only guy invested in the plan- in the Panthers. Yeah. And I don't know if the one media guy that covers that team. Roy Bellamy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. The Levitard show. Uh, the Levitard show. So yeah, no, I, I, I think that is good perspective to Just have to that, that. Like there are and similar stories. No, there are similar stories happening around the National Hockey League that don't get the the type of attention that yeah they get here in Toronto. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, maybe that should give mm-hmm. Leaf fans perspective. Like I don't know, does somebody else also have a four million dollar defenseman who couldn't play the last two years that was signed as the number one free agent who is having a, an injury made up about him? Like, is that also happening? Uh, is that somebody else? Have you know that? what? I'll get back to you on Monday on that. Okay. What are you going to eat tomorrow or tonight? A turkey. Yeah. I'm also excited going to have tea. <laughs> I need tea. I. <laughs> I need to rejuvenate. All right. Uh, you'll be back tomorrow. I will. Me and Jesse Rubinoff. Jesse Rubinoff. I'm going to make a roast dinner in honor of American Thanksgiving. Time. All right. Tune in for that show. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Good, Good morning. morning.